Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. Glad to have you as part of the Fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. Today, we are going to be jumping into Chapter 7 of Children Huron of Men the Dwarf, where we get to have another interaction with one of Tolkien's made-up races. But until then, let's... Uh, take some time to catch up me and my brother seth just see what's going on how you doing i see you got my beautiful little niece in your lap there that is absolutely adorable (laughs) how you guys doing well we're doing good uh we just had susan in town for the last few days uh i was able to get some time off of work thankfully and uh so evelyn got some good time with her grandma it was a lot of fun watching them interact and evelyn's really at a cute age to just enjoy playing and smiling and she's super interactive so i think it meant a lot to susan to get to see her at this age and it meant a lot to us for her to come out here so we we had a pretty good time uh just hanging out the last week yeah is that the second time that she's been able to see uh, amanda's mom susan has been able to see evelyn yeah, this is the second time she's been out. Um, well, technically the third. The first time she came out, both her and Kevin, uh, her husband, ended up getting COVID. And it was like two weeks after Evelyn was born. So they didn't get to hold her or anything. We were trying to be mm-hmm. real careful since she was, you know, brand new to this world. Right. Uh, but yeah, this was the second time since since she was born that she's been able to come out. It's it's pretty special to, to watch. I liked, I, you know, I loved it when mom and dad were out here and then watching susan come out and hopefully kevin will be able to the next time uh he wasn't able to get time off of work unfortunately but you know it's it's a lot of fun once you have your little one and i'm i'm excited for you know for you and ariel to experience that as well yeah yeah definitely i was just talking on the phone with our mom on thursday we do a call every thursday on my way down to work since there's a two-hour delay she's getting ready to work and i'm on the way down to the main campus after working already a couple hours but Mm. we were talking and i heard she dad was like in the room so she put me on speakerphone and they were just both like yeah we're so stoked to get to hang out with you guys and see see your family grow so i'm excited for that yeah it's it's pretty special it's special in ways that you don't even expect and watching you know your kid grow through every little stage and then watching your parents or your mother-in-law or father-in-law interact with them and seeing that relationship from the outside is it's really cool as well. Yeah. That's awesome. How's your, how's your personal life as far as like being able to find enough time for you and Amanda and lifting and all that? Has that been tough to navigate? Uh, it has been, I, with all the little nagging injuries I've had with my back and then my elbow and just all these stupid things with lifting. I've had to completely change my training um, because I just wasn't motivated to do it anymore. I would still do it, but I just kind of go through the motions. And so I was like, I need to remember what it's like to work hard and kick my butt. And so I decided to just change up my training for a few weeks just to kind of start enjoying it more. So I've um, started doing some like high intensity circuit training with, still in involving lifting weights but it's been a lot of fun actually because you know i i'm absolutely beat by the end of it and it kind of reminds you of you know those workouts when you were playing sports or something where 
sweating was the goal versus just being efficient with your workout. Um, Because believe it or not, those are two very different things. (laughs) Yeah, so what you're telling me is you're doing CrossFit? In a sense, it it probably (laughs) is similar to a a bit of CrossFit, but um, no, it's mostly lifting lighter weight, higher reps in a circuit, and then doing um, like three minutes of high intensity intervals on my on my uh like spinner bike that i've got in the basement so i don't know that i'd call it directly crossfit but it's it's pretty similar well as long as you know how to do a pull up the right way still it's fine (laughs) (laughs) well i do unfortunately i can't do them properly in my basement or else i'll smash my head into the ceiling but Uh, i I find a way to figure them out (laughs) how about for you you um did you hit four or uh, 500 for two? Was that what you did? Yeah. Yeah. For deadlift, I did 500 for two. And you can Dang tell a little bit in the video, on. like, yeah, thanks. You can tell a little bit in the video, my back starts rounding a little bit and I felt a lot of pressure there. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do anything more than that. But yeah, I've actually been feeling pretty good on my deadlift. I got 515 is my PR that I've hit in so far. Um, nice. But 500 for two is what I just hit. And then. Yesterday I did 335 for three sets of 10 on squats. Um, well, two sets of 10, and then my third set was eight, and then I waited, I like racked it, waited like 30 seconds, and got two really, really ugly reps <laughs> to finish it off. But you got but, them in. You got them in. Yeah, I got them in. So that yeah, that, that's been good. But yeah, I'm just trying to stay in in decent shape. Our training has also changed now with Ariel pregnant and stuff. We're not training for a Spartan race, but we're still trying to make sure we're in good good condition so i'm still trying to run stay in like 5k shape 10k shape i did a trail run i got six miles in like an hour something it's like an hour a couple minutes maybe um nice so what do you what do you consider in shape for a 5k or 10k because i could go out and run a 5k or 10k without stopping running but i don't know if i'd consider myself in shape to do it (laughs) you know what i mean yeah i guess is it a mile average or how do you determine what's in shape for that I'd say just being able to feel confident to do it. And I mean, I, I know, I guess do it and, and not feel like I'm going to die in the process, okay. I guess. I don't know. And especially in the summer too. Like, I mean, sure. like I, I could probably do 5k, 10k just at random, you know, here in the wintertime, but in the summertime, like definitely not with how hot it is and everything like that. But that makes um, sense. Yeah, but in, in other news, in other corners of Middle Earth, as they would say, um, we found out, I mean, last podcast, obviously, we're having a having a baby. We didn't know the gender, but we do know the gender now. We are having a, a little baby boy. Um, so we're very excited about our little boy. And I haven't shared the name with everybody, but I feel like I can share with this community. Um, I think it'll be very okay. accepted. All seven of us <laughs> and mom's three alt accounts. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But uh, we're looking at the name Baron Paul. So... Uh, Baron from Baron and Luthien. I actually looked it up in, in I think it's uh, Old Turkish. It's a female name for somebody who's wise, clever, smart. Um, but obviously in Tolkien's Legendarium, it's Baron from the Baron and Luthien story. And Baron in Sindarin, the High Elven language, it means brave. So yeah. that's pretty pretty cool. Baron the Brave. And obviously, uh, for short, Ariel loves the little bear. Um, so that's what we're going to be. That's kind of what we're calling him, little bear right now, as he's just growing he's the size of a brussels sprout right now so that's pretty neat <laughs> hopefully it doesn't smell as bad <laughs> oh yeah well 
that's exciting. That's uh, a good name. I I knew that um, there was no way I was gonna get a Tolkien name when it came to naming Evelyn. Amanda was just not on board with that. Um, but that's, I really Baron's didn't a good expect it's, it's a fun. <laughs> I really really didn't expect that we would. But uh, going through the names and stuff. Of course, I I suggested like, well, what about Amir and Faramir and yeah, those <laughs> what are do you think more. of yeah. what do you think of Erendil or Anarian? We she actually kind of liked Anarian, but um, she was like, well, we'll, we'll call him for short because that's her big thing. She loves having like a mm. short nickname for for names, and Anarian didn't really have one. So. <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, when Sam is trying to name his daughter at the end of the Return of the King, him and Frodo are talking. And Sam's like, well, my gaffer keeps telling me, uh, I forget how he phrases it exactly, but it's like, name her something short so you don't have to cut it short before using it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going the opposite way of that, I suppose. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I have to ask, did you guys, how did you do the early genetic testing? Did you do it through the the doctor's office where they take a sample or did you do the one where um, it's like a kit that you put a sample on and then send out? Ariel went to the doctor's office, not the same doctor that we've been going to, like for our our OBGYN checkups, but she did go um, down to like a Lexington office and they drew blood and okay. did it that way. Um, we didn't get like the whole genetic uh, testing. So I mean, we got the gender, but we didn't get like all the other information, you know, because I know they can tell for like um, disabilities and stuff through that genetic yeah. testing ahead of time. And we didn't do that. I mean, we both just agreed like we don't care. We don't want to know that you know your kid. It, it doesn't change how we feel about yeah. it so yeah but that is probably the most exciting it is the most exciting thing in our lives right now oh, for sure other than that it's just been really really busy lots of stuff going on right now i feel like the fall semester there's fall break there's thanksgiving there's christmas there's all these breaks from stuff and then you get into the spring and it's just go 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 from january to i guess our spring break will be like right before easter and then from there on, so it just doesn't feel like there's very much break for our schedule when it comes to school for Ariel because she works at the school and then also being on the school schedule with students for my work. So really busy, just trying to keep our heads above water right now. But such yeah. is life at times. Yeah. All right. Well, seeing as we are recording this on this, the 12th of the second month of the year, February 12th, it just happens to be the Super Bowl starting in about two hours. Um, oh boy well we both hate the Chiefs so I think we're both rooting for the Philadelphia Eagles even though I'm not a huge Eagles fan anymore but fly Eagles fly baby what what's your prediction I think the Eagles are probably going to win my guess is I'm going to say 34-27 ooh pretty high scoring game okay yeah. interesting uh, and I, I think they're going to get 4-5 to five sacks Ooh, all right. I'll take it. As long as the Eagles win, I'm cool with that. I think I'm <laughs> I think I'm gonna go like twenty seven twenty three Eagles. I think that's a good score. We'll see. Yeah. That's fair. Um, let it be known, even though this is going out tomorrow, likely, <laughs> that these predictions were made before. So if one of us is right, that's gonna be impressive. Yeah, for real. If if one of us is dead on with a score, y'all gotta buy us something. I don't know. Give us a Taco Bell gift card or something like that. <laughs> Taco Bell of all the things you could choose, you chose Taco Bell. That is that is my guilty pleasure. I actually have a Taco Bell bet on this game with my coworker Ian. <laughs> so if go. the Eagles win, 
he buys me Taco Bell. If the Eagles lose, I buy him Taco Bell, which I already won uh, Qdoba on the last game, the Eagles against the 49ers. So I'm on a roll so far. You know, whenever you gamble, you just you just will keep winning. You're right? hot. That's what I. You're hot. You keep playing, right? Exactly. Exactly. So that's what we're that's what we're doing right now. <laughs> well, fun. Uh, yeah. Let's go ahead and jump into our next session here. Um, Riddles in the dark. Sam, do you have your your book there? I do have my book handy, and this is actually a different book. This was a given to me by a friend that he found at a garage Ooh. sale, but it's beautiful. Whoa, you found that at a garage sale? He did, and so he well, just yeah, gave it to did. me. Wow, but, yeah, that's beautiful. It's, it's the Red Book, if you will. The Red Book of Westmarch, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's a beautiful, beautiful book. All right, got my quote for you. Are you ready? Sure, yeah, hit me. Hopefully, you'll be able to get this one pretty easily, Um, but we'll see. Farewell, Peregrine, son of Paladin. Your service has been short, and now it is drawing to an end. I release you from the little that remains. So you've been feeling bad for me, haven't you? You've been (laughs) wanting me to just (laughs) get a win because I've been struggling. You know that I'm self-conscious about this. You're just giving me a softball that I can knock out of the park, huh? I mean, it wasn't the intention, but when I read the quote, because I did just open up the book to that spot, and yep, I was like, yep, okay, this yep. is a good spot. This is a good spot. Well, this is obviously Return of the King. I think probably the Siege of Gondor is that chapter, and Pippin is talking to Denethor, and Denethor is like, go and die as you want to die, because everyone's going to die, and so I release you from my service, and, you know, tough luck. Life sucks. I'm going to go burn myself and my son. <laughs> Yep, that's exactly, yeah, the very next sentence is go now and die whatever way seems best to you. And with whom you will, even that friend whose folly brought you to this death. Send for my servants and then go. Farewell. (laughs) Nicely done. Thank you. Well, thank you. I'll take the win. I'll take the win. We had to get you a W. You got to get it back in the win column here. (laughs) Pippin's looking at me. He's he's like, are you talking about me, Dad? No. (laughs) Go away. I don't have any food. <laughs> okay, I've got one here. All right, let's hear it. But I cannot tell how it will fall out, well or ill for us. It may be that the counsels of the enemy will be confused or hindered by his wrath with Saruman. It may be that he will learn that there I was and stood upon the stairs of Orthanc with hobbits in my tail. Yeah, I know that's Gandalf speaking, and that's in the two towers. Um, I guess technically it would be the end of what, like book three after the battle of Helm's deep and they speak to Sauron, um, or Saruman, sorry. I know it's Gandalf speaking. Who's he speaking to though? Uh, Hmm. Think he's either speaking to Mary who is riding on the back of shadow facts with him. Or he's speaking to Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli and everything after they just interacted with Sauron. Fair. Wrong on both accounts. Really? One more time. But I cannot tell how it will fall out, well or ill for us. It may be that the counsels of the enemy will be confused or hindered by his wrath with Saruman. It may be that he will learn that I was there and stood upon the stairs of Orthanc, with hobbits at my tail. Ah, Every... actually, actually, I want to almost say this was Aragorn after. Okay, no, no, you're, no, you're getting further right. away. Yeah, I was going to say, here, here, hold on, hold on. 
Let me read this, and then you'll be perfect. This is a hard one. Every stride of Shadowfax bears you nearer to the land of shadow. Peregrine took. Okay. So this is, yeah. Oh, man. So I had the right character. Okay, so this is, yeah, just after Gandalf is like, all right, you looked in the, in the, the Orthanc stone, and you're coming to Gondor with me. Yep, exactly. That is the Palantir is the the yeah. chapter name. You said you said you thought it was Gandalf talking to Mary on the back of Shadowfax. I didn't well, know that's... if you meant Mary or if you meant Pippin. No, I meant Mary because after they leave Orthanc, Mary rides with Gandalf. Um, gotcha. Initially, and then they stop, and that's when Pippin looks at the stone, and then they Pippin rides with him. But yep, I was just a little off. That was a good one. That was a good one. No, yeah, I, I feel a little bit more confident now. You've bolstered my abilities. I feel like I could take on a Balrog myself now. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I, you looked a little down. I could tell you needed it. <laughs> thanks, thanks. That's what an older <laughs> brother's for, right? Just to make sure I, I feel a little bit better about myself. Amongst other things. Well, let me double check, but I'm pretty sure our next segment, Tidings from the Fellowship, is still a little bit dark. I do not believe we have any new tidings from any fellowship members out there. Uh, so if you're out there, I hope you're okay. I hope you're doing well. <laughs> Let us know that you're alive and listening. Leave yes. I've started you telling us to not worry about you. Yeah. I mean, it's just very, it's for you more than it is for us. Really. We're just trying to look out for you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. Naturally. All right. Well, <laughs> that's all right. We're going to jump right in here uh, to, chapter seven of Mim the dwarf and if you remember the last time we had a podcast it was about turin joining the outlaws and becoming the kind of the ringleader of this band of outlaws and so this next chapter is about them and some of their adventures uh so to give a little backstory first we're going to talk about the petty dwarves because Mim the dwarf is a petty dwarf um, so what is a petty dwarf and how, how are they different than other dwarves, you might ask? Uh, and Sam, how would you pronounce these names? Well, before I answer that, I think it's just hilarious that Tolkien calls them petty. <laughs> like of all the, <laughs> the names to call a dwarf, you call them petty. Yeah, I feel like he's always kind of, I mean, the dwarves have a wonderful culture and it's, it's very interesting just the... I guess their attitude towards everything, but petty, I guess, is maybe a pretty good description. Uh, but yeah, the, the Nibin Nagrim is what they would, were called by the elves. I think that's how I would pronounce. Uh, so is that the, one name or two? Nibin Nogrim? The Petty Dwarves. That's like the Petty okay. Dwarves. Petty Dwarves. Petty dwarf. right. Nogrim well, what... would be dwarf, maybe, right? Okay. I mean, like I yeah. Maybe that's something we should have looked up beforehand. I didn't even bother. Um, but yeah, that's what they were called by the elves. And these group of dwarves were known for loving none but themselves. And they had a deep, deep hatred for the elves. And in particular, the Noldor, because they claimed that the Noldor had stolen their lands. Um, and a fun little fact is that Nargothrond was actually first found by the petty dwarves. And they began excavating it and creating it uh, even before Fenrod Felagund came over the sea. Uh, and then when he came, and I believe it was the, the behest of Ulmo, if I remember correctly, to start settling down in that hidden city of Nargothrond, the petty dwarves actually helped him build it. 
some people say that these petty dwarves were outcasts and that they were banished from the dwarven cities in the far east of old, uh, back when the dwarves first uh, came over the mountains. These dwarves were ferocious enemies of the elves, and the elves actually hunted them. And this is likely because the elves never got a clear sight of them in the day. Uh, they just saw them as shapes, and they called them the Levain Tadile. I don't know how to say it. Um, but basically, the Sindar elves called them the two-legged animals. And yeah, Levain... Levain Tadale, I guess. Levain Tadale. We'll go with that. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, and so they actually hunted them thinking that they were beasts and that they were animals. And the petty dwarves didn't help their cause at all. And they would actually ambush and attack the, the elves in stealth. And they never openly declared themselves as, as other creatures of, you know, the ability to speak. And, you know, they weren't beasts and they never actually made that distinction. So these dwarves were actually very few in number and they were leaderless. So because of that, they took to, they took to the lives of being stealthy and they were actually smaller in stature than other dwarves. Um, but they were stronger and stronger than their stature would suggest, even though a lot of them had died out um, in a short period of time. The one that this book focuses on is me and his two sons. Um, and believe it or not, Meme was actually the chieftain of the petty dwarves that helped Finrod Felagund in Nargothrond. Uh, and he feigned friendship with Finrod until one night he tried to kill him in his sleep. And at that point, the petty dwarves were expelled and driven away from Nargothrond by the elves. So this is one time when the petty dwarves kind of tried to be friends with the elves and then you know, they turned their backs on the elves and actually tried to kill Fenrod in his sleep. Quite the petty dwarf. But that also means Mim is quite old, right? I mean, that means he would be, he'd been around for a while. Yeah, I, I think he's give or take around 450. And aside from, I believe, Durin the Deathless, who was like 2,500 years old, he's the eldest mentioned dwarf. Hmm. That's kind of cool. Well, I love how, you know, Tolkien is very obviously the master of detail and he he's not scatterbrained, but you know, he he puts together his chapter this way, like he talks about the history of the petty dwarves and he goes into a lot of detail and he's like, Oh yeah, Turin. I should go back to him. So uh, <laughs> this is where the tale goes back to Turin. And Tolkien tells us that things haven't really gone well for the outlaws since Beleg departed them. You know, the last part of our podcast, you know, Beleg said, I'm not gonna come with you where you're going, but if you wanna come with me, that's fine. Turin's like, well, you can find me at Amunrud. That's where I'm headed. And so that's the plan. But, you know, this the time of the year, it was starting to rain. It was the rainy season. So everywhere they went, they just were, were soaked and they couldn't find good shelter. And on top of that, the orcs' numbers were growing uh, to the point where rather than being the hunters, they were often the hunted and were finding themselves in the need to you know, run away and find places to hide. And so Turin thought to himself that he needs a refuge. Like, he needs a place of safety for his for his guys you know for his company and uh, because again the, the rains were torrential and the orcs were overwhelming so Turin decided them to lead them away southward this was a three days journey and they halted at the western edge of Sirion's Vale which I don't know I don't have the map in front of me Seth where where is that 
Uh, I'm not too sure about Sirion's Vale necessarily. Uh, Sir the river Sirion is a big river that kind of goes, it cuts through the forest of Brethil and not, or, uh, and Doriath, and it kind of splits Beleriand. It's like the main one that goes down the middle of Beleriand, and Amandruth is to the west of that. So I assume it's just kind of the west, maybe the forest on the west side of Sirion, the river Sirion. That would make sense. Okay, that's fair. Uh, While well, the company was was sheltered from some of the rain for a little bit, um, but one of their watchmen uh, made up a call and sprang up. This was after they decided to kind of make camp and try to get away from the rain. Of course, they had somebody keeping watch, and one of their watchmen made a call and sprang up because suddenly before them, stealthily, as we just mentioned, the petty dwarves were, moved three cloaked figures. And they were moving really, really fast, even though they carried a really heavy sack on them. Um, so this... Kind of makes me think of how the elves likely hunted the petty dwarves, not knowing what they were. I mean, you you mentioned that Seth, like they Tolkien says, three figures that were moving quickly, and and they had a sack on them, which means they probably didn't look like a like a, much of a person, or or you know, a, a two legged animal might be a perfect description of what these guys would have been like. But Turin yelled at the figures to halt because he he sees them and he's like not sure what to do with them, so he's like, hey guys, stop where you are, and they didn't heed his call. Instead, they actually kept going and so his men began to chase these figures through the night and Androg being you know the guy he is to shoot first ask questions later just pulls out his bow and starts hewing arrows at these guys he starts shooting darts at these figures um and but two of the two of the cloaked figures they slipped away they just kind of disappeared but the third one lagged behind because he was very old and he was overtaken by Turin's men and and they weren't very gentle with him and Androg even supposed that he was an orc uh, after being bit by him, which is kind of funny. Like I, I just imagine like they grab hands on him and they're they're trying to wrestle him down and you just ah, what do you do? Are you biting me right now? <laughs> it's so Androg, of course, does not like that. He was very, very upset that he got bit by by this dwarf and his hatred for this dwarf will as we see, continue on throughout the chapter. Uh, but when Turin got there, he recognized this old figure, obviously, to be a dwarf. And so Turin told the dwarf, hey, speak and tell us who you are. And so Mim spoke and begged for his life. He told the company his name, that he was Mim the dwarf. And he always refers to himself in the third person, which also I thought was interesting. Kind of reminded me yeah. of, of Gollum and how he's always talking about himself in the third person. Of course, Mim doesn't have two different personalities, but... He, he always said, you know, Min the Dwarf doesn't mean to do this, or Min the Dwarf that. He, he refers to him that third-person way of doing it. So Mim starts telling him who he is. He says, my name is Mim, and he tells the company, I'm nothing, I'm nothing more than just a pole or old dwarf. Like, don't hurt me. I'm just a pole or old dwarf. And Turin, he takes pity on him. Again, he's turned the leaf. He's more empathetic now. He's trying to just be a bit more patient with people rather than just attacking first and asking questions later. And so he... He has a bit of empathy towards towards this dwarf that's begging for his life. And so Turin told him all he wanted right now was a place to rest out of the rain. Yeah, and Androg doesn't take too kindly to this, as is well known for Androg. Like we were talking, he's always out for himself, and he got bit by this little old thing, and so he's pretty pissy. <laughs> um, and so he, he comes at him with his knife in hand and basically says, like, or we could just kill him right now because he's still upset. And Meme actually starts crying out and begging. Um, and he says, Lord, if I lose my life, you lose your dwelling. I cannot give it, but I can share it. There is more room than there once was. So many have gone forever. And he began to weep out loud, which 
to me is just strange. Like he's very prideful, but he's also just like, woe is me all the time. Yeah, yeah, I was kind of surprised about that because obviously Turin and it's looking like, okay, maybe this play this dwarf has a place to stay outside of the rain. Maybe we could just go back to his house and and the dwarf's like, Yeah, I've got a house. I just don't hurt me. Don't don't touch me. I'm just a little old dwarf and there's you know, I'm not I, I couldn't hurt a fly, <laughs> you know, he's he's playing this off, but also being very, very pathetic in the way he's doing it. Yeah, exactly. And you have to think that Turin is probably aware that Meme is uh just trying to get away and play it off like you said like he couldn't hurt a fly and just let him go um but turin you know basically says i'll spare your life but you're gonna have to lead us to your shelter and so if mem brought him to their his house without trickery he his life would be ransomed and turin swore uh that nobody in his company would harm him if he did these things so he's basically ransoming ransom and ransoming that's a ransom ransoming thing ransoming i think it's ransom i don't know whatever this happens once a podcast where we just get stuck on a word and i feel like that's a simple word though (laughs) ransoming it just doesn't sound right no it doesn't um (laughs) i guess we were both homeschooled though so true hey you know mom's one of our listeners that's our english teacher there's she's like four of our listeners all right um (laughs) (laughs) but yes uh he's basically ransoming his life with his dwelling so at this point androg is like okay that's a little sketchy well where's your house and he basically just speaks about disdain for not only meme but all dwarves so you have to imagine that androg just i i almost imagine it as being like a little racist towards towards the dwarves he hates meme for biting him but then he starts talking um in disdain about all dwarves and he stands by you know the logic of his last chapter he doesn't really love anyone but himself um and at this point meme mentions to turin's men that like I, I'll lead you there. It's a secret dwelling, but we'll need the light of day. Um, and he starts like taking off. Like I'll come back for you in the light of day, and I'll lead you there. And Turin chases him down. He's like, No, 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 no. That's not gonna work. Um, and so he basically puts him in bonds, and he binds him up for the night, and tells him that in the morning we'll go find this place. And what's interesting is when they put the bonds on Mim, his complete demeanor just changes. He gets incredibly stoic. He doesn't say all his babbling and whining and weeping and begging just ends immediately the second these bonds are placed on. And the next morning, they kind of like look at him like, is he alive? Because he just didn't move at all. And he, he finally opened his eyes and... They took him out of his bonds, and I can imagine just kind of cryptically, after not saying a word or moving all night, he just speaks to him and he says, do not put bonds on a dwarf. He will not forgive it. I do not wish to die, but for what you have done, my heart is hot, and I repent my promise. And he said that to Turin, and Turin's basically like, but I do not repent that promise. He's like, well, you still made me a promise. Even if you repent it, you still made it to me, and I'm going to hold you to it. And so he tells him, you're going to have to lead us up to your house as promised. And he's Tolkien says that he looks steadfastly into memes eyes and meme could not endure it. And few could challenge the eyes of Turin whether they were set in will or wrath. And this is interesting to me because Turin is obviously this incredibly powerful presence. And I feel like he uses his gaze as, I don't know about like a, dominant thing but he uses it to really just impose himself on other people 
kind of like in the Fellowship of the Ring, how Galadriel does that to all the members of the Fellowship in um, Lothlorien, and nobody could hold her eyes long. Um, but he does this constantly, and there is one character that comes into the story here in a little bit that uh, Turin tries to do that to, and because he does that, it goes very poorly for him. So I'll just kind of mm. throw that out there. Yeah, no more spoilers. You already ruined what happens with Mim for me from the last podcast. <laughs> we we didn't share it on air because obviously it was a spoiler for everybody, but I didn't remember that or never read it, and Seth ruined it for me. So I forgot we'll that the chapter where ended where it did, so I was like, oh yeah, this happened, <laughs> and that's why blah, 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 and Sam was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was not cool. My uh, bad, my bad. But I do love that Like he looks steadfast. I, again, Tolkien was a master of words and knowing... Like steadfast is not a word that we normally would use, but in this context, he's looking steadfastly into the dwarves' eyes. Like you think about what steadfast means, and obviously, I've been thinking about it a lot because it's yeah, my the word, word of the year. year. Yeah, yeah, and and being steadfast is immovable. Like you are you're planted firm in what you believe in, and so he's looking at him, and again, like he's portraying both with his words and with his stare. My way goes. Like you're gonna, you're you're gonna let me have my way because like i'm not moving i'm being steadfast right. in this and so I, I don't know i just i thought that was neat but obviously men relented and so he's like all right all right let's go let's go to my house like this is where we need to go and so tolkien kind of describes the the way that they went um but turin he, he understood the dwarf's pride and so he told me he's like hey i promise i won't put you in bonds again so that was something that Turin, he could tell that this, this dwarf had a lot of pride to him, even though after he wept in front of him, he begged for his life and he kissed his knees at one point, even. Yeah. Like he was like, okay, I won't, I, I can see what that did to you. And that won't happen again. And then the company was led back to the base of Amunrud, which was like a big hill, not quite a mountain, right? It's, it's just kind of a big mound. Yeah. Maybe a hill. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess you'd maybe call it a mountain because it's not surrounded by anything else. You know, so I wouldn't call it like a 14 or necessarily, but it's like it's it's the high point in the surrounding area. So. OK, yeah, that checks out kind of like the place of vantage point, I guess. Um, yeah. Man, Ariel's making peanut butter brownies and they smell delightful. I mean, that's good. <laughs> I think oh, I yeah. think Amon Root is supposed to be like a thousand feet high, give or take. So it's I mean, it's pretty okay. high, but I don't know that I'd call it a mountain necessarily. Sure. A good hill, uh, a mountain out here for us Kentucky folks, but perhaps <laughs> maybe not a Colorado mountain. True. Um, but this was Mim's home, and he called it Sharbhund, um, as they called it before the elves came and changed the name to Amunrud. And so they began to climb through this hill, and it was kind of a labyrinth. Like Tolkien goes into great detail; you can go go read it. But he he goes into great deal detail to share that like this is not an easy place to find. Mim's house is in the hill. And to get to it, you have to go through a bunch of thorns and brambles and figure out how to uh, get through it. Tolkien one point says mentions flowers as well. Um, but then at one point he mentions that the, the slower slopes of Amunrud were surrounded by thickets of eglos, which was a plant common in the western side of Beleriand, um, but the name meant snow point. And so what, what's your interesting connection here you put it in the doc? Yeah, so... It's called snow point, so I imagine it's kind of like a like an icicle looking plant. I don't know. I imagine like what a field of a snow point looking plant would look like. Um, but what's interesting, the interesting connection that I put in the doc is that's actually the name of Gilgalad's spear during the second age. 
that he wields in the the battle um the last in the last alliance the battle of the last alliance and it's along with narsil that's the the weapon that helps defeat sauron so i wonder if he named it that because it i i was trying to find some stuff on why he named it that and i didn't look too hard but i wonder if it's because you know he saw what those those plants look like and the way his spear glinted in the sun or something reminded him of that i don't know or it's just an elf naming another thing after a plant wow (laughs) (laughs) nothing new there fair enough right uh now it could be something interesting Uh, if you if you guys find anything on that please let us know uh, but finally, they, they found the entrance to uh, Mim's house. So they filed in one by one down a stony path um, to the gates of his house. Uh, Bear in Nibin Noeg, I think is what, how you would pronounce how Tolkien calls it. Yeah. And at the mouth of this cave, Mim bowed and he told Turin enter. Like, this is my home. Baron Dandweth, which is the house of ransom or for show or for so it shall be called. So he's saying like, this is no longer... You know, my house, it's more so just the house of ransom, because that's what we, we talked about earlier with him ransoming his life for the house. So it was really, really dark, and Mim clapped his hands, and a little light appeared when I first read this. I was like, wow, he, he has those like really cool sound, you know, <laughs> sound-activated lights. But then I was like, oh, then obviously we see a little light appear around the corner, which was another dwarf appearing, holding a torch. And he comes up to Mim and they start talking and it gets really, really like intense really quick, but they're talking in different language. So no one's really sure what's going on. And so the Mim just darts off. He just takes off around the corner where this dwarf had come from. And they were like, what? Like, are, are, is this an ambush? Are they like going to come with a whole bunch of different dwarves? Androg was, of course, assuming this was all part of a, a plan to waylay them. And so he's like, hey, we should attack first. Like, let's go, let's, let's go attack them in case there's, as he says, a hive of them. But Turin stays calm and he's like, ah, I guess there's probably only three, which I don't know how he guesses that. Maybe that's because that's how many people they saw, you know, in, during the night, the night before. But he's like, no, it's, it's probably fine. Let's just follow. And so they just kind of walk slowly through the path down the which way they saw Mim or Mim run down. And they came to a room in which they heard Mim's voice crying, Kim, Kim, Kim. And so Turin stepped into the room and he saw the dwarf on his knees. The dwarf was weeping. Now we saw this just a couple pages earlier, but this is a whole different kind of weeping. He was weeping and on a stone couch lay motionless another dwarf at this point turin approached and and softly asked him he's like hey man can i do anything um for i have some skill in healing and meme looks at him with red eyes and tells him that there's nothing he can do unless he can turn back time and cut off the hands of his cruel men um and this is because it was actually one of androg's arrows that nailed his son him is how uh uh what's his name the guy that plays Sauron. Christopher, uh, Christopher Lee. Christopher, Christopher Tolkien. Tolkien. <laughs> Chris, Christopher, Christopher Lee. Um, he pronounces it. He like, might as well. Um, that's how he pronounces it in the book. But he right. tells him that uh, it was his arrow that, that killed his son. And because of his bonds overnight, that prevented him from reaching his son in time to heal him. Um, and with that news... Pity just welled in Turin's heart, and he said that he would recall the shaft if he could, and that this house will indeed be called the bar and down with the house of ransom. And he vowed that if he ever came into wealth, he would pay. He he actually uses the term ransom, and and he says he would pay a dangue 
uh, or however you say it, of heavy gold for him and even if Mame didn't want it um, and it pleased his heart no more. So basically he's saying, like, I need to make this up to you. We didn't want to kill your son. I'm sorry. Um, and this actually caught Mame off guard a little bit. And he said, wow, uh, you know, you speak like a dwarf lord of old. Um, and that his heart was cooled, but not glad. So I guess that wrath that he was feeling kind of dissipated a little bit hearing Turin speak in that manner. Um, yeah, it's amazing how he's been able to, sorry, it's amazing how he's able to, again, empathize and not only empathize, but kind of take on the character of an elf, a man. And now here we see him yeah. saying, wow, you kind of speak like a dwarf lord of old. Like, Turin's just, he's a man that has a lot of heart to give, and he has a lot of emotional dexterity, I guess, and bandwidth yeah. that he can take on some of these different races and and their best and most you know esteemed qualities yeah that's a great point for somebody with pretty low emotional intelligence he has very high emotional intelligence um and i mean meme is all obvious able obviously able to tell that it's genuine i mean i don't think he would you know i don't think meme's heart would be cooled if he thought that turin wasn't being genuine um and at this point, Meme basically says, you know what, you have permission to stay, and this house is your house, we'll share it just like we bargained. Um, however, the one who shot my son needs to break his bow and all his arrows and never use it again, or else he'd be cursed that he would die by a shaft. And, of course, we know that, that the uh, man that loosed those arrows was Androg, and at first he was really reluctant. Um, but he was also afraid because, as he says in the book, um, the curse of a dwarf never dies, they say, but a man's too may come home. May he die with a dart in his throat. So again, Androg is just kind of looking out for himself. He, I, I don't think he regrets killing, killing him at all. Um, no, just, not at all. In his book, it was like, well, I took him out. That's That's that. I don't know why I have to break my bow. But he's also scared because he believes in the the curse of meme that he would die by an arrow if he picked one up yeah. ever again. Um, and so the company began to dwell in bar and Danwith. is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to say it exactly, but that's how I would go. With it. That sounds um, right. Yeah. That's how we'll say. Um, it. And they shared food and fire and shelter and meme used the roots that him and his son had collected him and his sons uh, had collected and that they were similar to bread. We didn't really touch on this earlier. Um, but when the, when the outlaws captured meme, he was carrying a big heavy load and in that they found these roots and, and they kind of thought that maybe there was something else in it. Like, why would he be super reluctant to, you know, to let him search it and to take it if it was just roots. Um, but it actually turns out that these roots are, uh, if they are used properly, they're much like bread if they're cooked properly. Mm. And so um, the men were shocked by it because they hadn't had bread in a long time because they didn't have, you know, they've been men on the run. They haven't had the opportunity to to make bread. And they asked him, Turin asks me and he says, well, all right, well, what's this, what's this root called? Because it's really, it's really interesting. And Mim replied that it has no name, save in the dwarf tongue, which we do not teach. And we do not teach men to find them 
for men are greedy and thriftless and will not spare till all the plants had perished, whereas now they pass them by as they go blundering into the wild. Which is interesting to me because he's basically saying men are just greedy and they will take and run things to the ground without any thought of replacing it and or cultivating it. And that seems to be a pretty common theme in Tolkien's um in Tolkien's works whenever it comes to anything with nature. Yeah, specifically with men too. I mean, obviously we see it with Saruman and specifically like the two towers where he's cutting down the Fangorn forest to make room for his uh, evil evil purposes, not caring to replant the the trees. You know, obviously the men of Numenor, we saw that they cut down trees, but they always would replant the trees, you know. So you can tell like the difference there's there's definitely a stigmatism though with men specifically and obviously men being what would be the easiest to associate with us like as human beings would be men obviously and so yeah i think tolkien was again allegory we had that whole conversation with michael that still blows my mind at some points but i mean there was definitely a little bit of a i think a one for one in the sense that he was like yeah this is like i love i love trees i love nature and especially during the two wars that he would have lived through he would have seen nature just be decimated by evil desire yeah definitely um and nature really holds a close spot in tolkien's heart as you can tell through all his writings and he really wasn't a fan of industry and so i think this is kind of one of his ways of just telling like hey let's keep an eye on these things let's not overdo it when it comes to industry um but anyways, Meme claimed that at this point they started a discussion about what was in the sack and everything, and one of the men uh, was named Olrad, and he was basically questioning him, like, there had to be something else in there because you wouldn't be parted from it. And Meme claimed that the roots were all that were in the sacks, and he just didn't want to be parted with it when they got captured, and that's why he wouldn't give it up. But Olrad just basically doesn't buy it, and he calls meme a liar and he says yet you would not be parted and your words only make me wonder more um so i think he's probably thinking there's gold or something else in there uh that is incredibly valuable but tolkien kind of just leaves it up to interpretation if you think that there's something more valuable maybe there was but he never explicitly says that there was or wasn't which is kind of fun yeah um, it's interesting too that like again because the the whole discussion about the roots, Mim is also talking about how nobody's really discovered them, not even the elves. And so this is also kind of a point of pride for him. Like, even if they really weren't that valuable, it's something that they had that nobody else did and that they knew what to use with when nobody else did. And so maybe even it's just that. Like, I just don't want anyone else to... I, I want this piece of, you know, culture to be ours only. Yeah, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, but Orad doesn't buy it, like I said, and he he basically just says yeah but your words only make me wonder more and mim replies kind of in a in a funny way and he basically says you are one of the fools that spring would not mourn if you were to perish in the winter <laughs> and he said that if you were to get any of the root it would be from uh the generosity of your fellows but not from my personal stores he basically says i'll give my stores to everybody else but not to you specifically because you're pissing me off <laughs> <laughs> and Turin actually just kind of shakes his head and this is I I mean Turin you're seeing his character develop you know more and more but for somebody that's 
generally rather brash and often incredibly rude. He actually looks at Urad and he says, Why must you speak your thoughts? Silence. If fair words stick in your throat, would serve all, all our ends better. And so he's basically just saying, come on, bro. Like, why are you trying to pick a fight? We're, we're finally here. We're finally in a place where we're sheltered and we have food. Why are you just being, you know, a butt? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, uh, you know, time went on. These outlaws had what they needed in the house of Meme. And they found it to be their liking. You know, they had food, they had shelter, room to spare. Again, Meme had made, you know, his home was for lots of dwarves, but then now there's only three of them. And so there's plenty of room and, and space for all of them um, because it could have held at least hundreds of people. And there was actually plenty of chambers for their works and for stores. There were armories with axes and other gear. Uh, obviously, they become a little bit rusted from, you know, they, they haven't been used or, or even really taken care of. Um, but all the smithies were, were bare. Uh, save one in a small room in which Mim would work, but he didn't allow anyone else to go in there other than himself. Like he he worked in this one little smithy room, and all the other ones were just bare. They they were not really in use. And he also didn't tell the others that there was actually a secret stair that led from the house to the top, uh, you know, the flat part of the summit of Amunrud. And but Androg, the the guy that's just kind of in everybody's business, but also keeps to himself. He he found this when seeking hunger for food. So he's just maybe rummaging through the cupboards, trying to find something. I know that what that's like now, having a fifteen year old in the house who's rummaging through our cupboards <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, but he he discovered this this little route to himself. But all that aside, this house was really really well hidden, and that from aside from tour and only six of his men ever really knew how to go out and come back. Like that, that whole labyrinth of a trail that they had found getting there, only six of his men were ever able to actually memorize that and go out and come back without any issues. Um, but because of this, they really rarely felt any need for posting a watch. They didn't feel like they needed people to be watching, making sure there's no orcs or enemies about. So the year passed on without any hurt or alarm, and the rains returned, and the men began to grow weary of the dark and the halls. Um, because they're only half lit because of the the torches on the lights, which of course dwarves don't care. Dwarves love the the yeah. stone and the darkness, but men don't. You know they're not used to it. And you know even coming to Kentucky, where we still get sunshine, but a lot less sunshine than Colorado, has even been weird. You know Ariel yeah. was mentioning that earlier. Like even like this winter has been so cloudy and very rainy, whereas winter in Colorado would still like we'd get a lot of snow, but it'd be super sunny you know it might snow two feet one day and then be sunny the next six and so i can i can kind of feel for these men of like even though it was a nice place to say they had everything they needed it was still just hard to live in this place of darkness and cold stone everywhere um but they also kind of became increasingly wary of meme and would drop their voice to a whisper anytime he was by. So they didn't really want him knowing their business. It's just maybe like one of those roommates that you don't tr fully trust. Um, <laughs> you're kind of like talking in secret around them. But uh, Turin was fine with them. Turin was fine with, with me and became actually really friendly with them and would sit and talk with the dwarf for hours and listen to his counsels and his tales of, of his life. And so, but, you know, Turin understood that it's, it's weird. And so he didn't rebuke Mim. I mean, he spoke ill of the Eldar because Mim, of course, did not like the duel, the the elves and the Noldor stuff like that. But they they kind of became buddies after a little while. They they liked each other. Mim would talk to Turin and even allowed him into his private smithy, which he wouldn't allow anyone to go into. And they'd go in there and they'd talk and they'd work. 
Um, they hung out. He was kind of becoming really good friends with them. But as the powers of Engban continued to grow, the winters of Beleriand continued to get worse, and Amunrud was covered uh, deep in, in snow, and, and some of the men fell sick and were pinched by hunger, because again, there's at this point, in, during this time of the year, there really wasn't a whole lot to go out and find as far as food. It was harder to hunt, it was harder to gather, and so, you know, they're starting to feel kind of the elements. Yeah, and uh, Tolkien says that after putting up with this for a while, some of the men fell sick, and um, like Sam mentioned, they were all getting really hungry, and like we mentioned, they really didn't have many... Uh, many watchmen they had a couple but i don't think that they were ever really on top of their game because they didn't really see a need for it um and in the dim dusk of one midwinter day a man appeared and he was of great bulk and girth and he was cloaked and hooded in white and he alluded the couple of watchmen that there were and he walked up directly to the fire without saying a word so here comes this giant figure that's hooded and cloaked in pure white which I imagine was to blend in with all the snow. Mm, yeah. Um, so it was probably, you know, his camouflage, if you will. And when the men noticed him, they jumped up and started, you know, yelling at him and trying to, you know, they're all shocked that he's there. And he just takes his hood off and he laughs. And, and they saw that it was Beleg. It was Beleg Strongbow, the good friend of Turin. And with him, he had brought many things to help the men through the winter. Tolkien doesn't say what it is necessarily, but I'm sure it was, you know, food and maybe some more clothing or warm blankets. I don't know. But um, he came bearing gifts. And Tolkien says, in this way, Beleg came back to Turin, yielding to his love against his wisdom. And, Tol and Turin was glad, um, but Androg was not. And there were a few others in the company that were not either. Uh, and Androg, when Turin and Beleg started talking, Androg watched out of jealousy. And I think that Androg is always trying to kind of be that second in command, that friend of Turin, even though he's just kind of a jerk and Turin really doesn't like him that much. <laughs> but he feels like that's his rightful place, maybe. Um, so he was pretty jealous of, jealous of Beleg. And so as Beleg and Turin are talking, Beleg brought with him the dragon helm of Dorloman. And Tolkien says that he was hoping that this symbol, when he gave it to him, uh, would remind Turin that he was destined for a higher purpose uh, than just to lead this petty company in the woods. Um, and what's kind of interesting to me that I didn't, I was listening, I think it was to the Two Towers. Um, yeah, I was listening to the Two Towers right when Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli and Gandalf all show up at Edoras and they're talking about like, I don't want to put my weapon down. I don't want to put my weapon down. And and Aragorn starts talking about Anduril. Um for some reason, until that point, it slipped my mind that Anduril or Narsil originally was actually smithied by Telkar, the same person or the same dwarf of Narog, Nar Narog. I can't ever say that. Um, Nagrod, I think. Um, <laughs> Nagrod, yeah. Yeah, he's the same one that uh, that smithied uh, Angrist, which is the knife that Baron used to cut the Silmaril from Morgoth's crown, and uh -huh. also this dragon helm of Dorloman. So, I don't know. I don't know why it took me so long to make that connection, but when I heard that Telkar's name in passing in the book, I was like, oh, oh, that ties <laughs> right into Children of Hurin. Um, which means that Narsil I, is such an old, old weapon. 
Jeez, yeah, I had no idea. That's really interesting. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Wow. I don't know. It's silly little things like that that I get excited by, but I don't know. People who read the book, and I've read the book tons of times, you know, there's these little nuggets that you can draw connections to, and they're just scattered throughout all of Tolkien's writings. And it's just kind of a little, it feels like a little gift from Tolkien to me when I finally catch one of those. You know what I mean? It's like, it's completely irrelevant to the Lord of the Rings story. But if you know the whole legendarium and the wider world and everything, it, it really is kind of like, oh, it's like a little treasure that I just found. Yeah, it's rewarding. Huh. That's yeah. Cool. Um, anyways, back to the story at hand. Um, so Belag brings the dragon helm of Dorlom and he's like, look, this is a reminder of who you are. You're not meant to just be a leader of these this petty company in the woods. Like, you're, you're Turin, son of Hurin. And... And then Turin noticed something else in Beleg's hand, and I can imagine he's just kind of contemplative and thinking to himself about the dragon helm of Dorloman that Beleg brought him. And he sees in Beleg's hand these silver leaves that are red in the firelight, and he asks what they are. And Beleg responded, the greatest gift that one who loves you still has to give. And he showed Turin the Lembus bread, uh, the way bread of the Eldar that no man had yet tasted. So... This is the same bread that, you know, Melian created and gave to Beleg at the end of the last chapter. Uh, this is the same, or two chapters ago, I believe. Um, I don't know, whatever it is. And then this is also the same bread that Melian taught Galadriel during Galadriel's time in Doriath, uh, how to make that Galadriel gave to the Fellowship in the Third Age. So more fun little connections. Um, but he basically said, that's what this is. And Turin... Uh, refused it he's like i don't want anything out of doriath don't like don't put that on me you know like his pride just hits like a truck it comes out of nowhere and beleg humbles him uh in a pretty smart way and he basically says all right by the way give me all your teaching and the fostering of your youth because that was all in doriath as well and turin is is kind of chastised by it and he's like oh okay um and beleg's like all right and this lumbus wasn't given to you directly it was given to me and if you're going to complain. There's other hungry people I can give it to. And I think that that just kind of, you know, it's like I said, Baron started to get angry, started to get frustrated. And then Belleg just kind of chastised him. and was like, come on, bro. Like, let's be real. And at this point, Turin kind of just, the fire in his eyes is quenched and it died off. And he just kind of sat there and, you know, took a deep breath. And, and he says, I wonder friend that you deign to come back to such a churl for you, I will take whatever you give, even rebuke. Henceforward, you shall counsel me in all my ways, save the road to Doriath only. Um, so basically, he's like, wow, I really, I, I need your presence. I need your wisdom. I'm sorry. Um, and I like how he says, I will give whatever, or I will take whatever you give, even rebuke. And this is like the first time that Turin's willing to give somebody the power to correct his behavior. Um, and that's actually where this chapter ends. So at the end of this chapter, you know, you've got Beleg and Turin reunited. You've got a pissed off and jealous Androg. You've got a dwarf who hates all the elves um, and yet has begun, began to love Turin, but he doesn't know that Beleg's there yet. So you can see a lot of different pieces moving uh, for these next couple of chapters coming up. Yeah, it seems like it's about to set something up uh, to be pretty pretty interesting pretty intense uh, but I, I i just going back to what you said there about turin allowing belleg to rebuke him i think that's it's a really cool way of 
I mean, t- Tolkien writes in a way that's difficult to understand sometimes because I wrote that I read that multiple times. Even after you put in the doc, I read it and I didn't really understand it until you even mentioned it. You know, from you, I will take whatever you give, even rebuke. It took me a minute to be like, oh, he's saying I will receive your feedback. I will receive your criticism. I will, you know, you you have wise counsel that I probably need to listen to. And man, I can't tell you how many students that I I try to talk to and rebuke, if you will, for lack of a better term, and they just they don't take it. They don't understand the wisdom that I'm trying to you know bestow upon them by rebuking them of their idiotic ways. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's cool seeing him finally understand. Okay, that's actually needed in my life. That I can't just make all the decisions for me and my people. That I might need some feedback and some counsel. Yeah, and I mean it's kind of a mirror to all of us. I know even myself, I have a hard time taking correction at times. You know, when I definitely deserve it, and quite often when I deserve it is the time that I refuse to take it even more because you know yep. that there's that that grain of truth in it. And I mean, we're all prideful and pride comes before a fall. And in Turin's position, it's finally like, okay, his pride is taking a little bit of a backseat here for the first time. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we're, we're jumping into it now. I think uh, I'm excited for the next couple of chapters and where it'll go. Again, like I mentioned before, I don't know if I ever got this far in reading the book last time I tried. And so even though Seth kind of spoiled some stuff for me ahead of time, I'm still excited. <laughs> it was to only a little. It was that. only a little. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like I know some other big things that happen in the book, you know, specifically the end and, you know, what happens to some of Turin's best friends. But even still, I I was not expecting that. So anyway, we will leave you on that cliffhanger as well and move into our segment, Gondor Calls for Aid. Now's the time to podcast where we jump into the halls of metaceld and we shout gondor is calling for aid will you rohan answer so if you enjoy the podcast please light a beacon of your own by sharing it with fellow friends and fans and don't forget to like subscribe and please leave us a review five stars if you please and uh, if, if it's three or two we'll, we'll take whatever just tell us what you think of the podcast and what we can do better as we will also take that rebuke from you all um, but yeah, don't forget to send us your Tolkien story, any thoughts on Children of Hurin, or even Rings of Power. I see that's kind of resurfacing on my Facebook feed every once in a while. If you want to share in your thoughts, good or bad, we'll, we'll read them here on the podcast, Tidings of the Fellowship in that section. So I still have not gone back and rewatched Rings of Power. It's crossed my mind a couple of times, like, maybe I should try it again. And then I'm like, I don't care enough, which is pathetic yeah. that I don't care enough, because I'll rewatch the movies or reread the books. But every time I'm like, oh, maybe I should give that another try. I'm like, that's just not worth my time. I'll just get pissed off all over again. <laughs> <laughs> I 100% agree with you. I've been in the same boat. I've jokingly said, Ariel, you want to watch it? And she's like, do you want to watch it? I'm like, no, I don't. I really don't. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But yeah, please let us know what you're thinking. Uh, we'd love to do this with you all and fellowship together. But I'm excited for next next uh, time we podcast together as we'll jump into the next couple chapters of Children of Hurin as they're a bit shorter. But until then, we thank you for joining us for some well-earned comforts, and we bid you a very fond farewell.